We're in a series called Human uh, Becomings. We're actually closing it out. If you missed any of it, you can go to awakeningchurch.com and encourage you to go check it out. I think it's been a, a really important series for us in, in our growth uh, process uh, as followers of Jesus. Um, and, and here's what we've said over the last few weeks. We often ask the question, uh, what are we doing? You know, whether it's your job, maybe it's your, uh, ask this with people all the time, with friends, you know, what are you doing over the summer? What vacations do you have? We, we ask the doing questions quite a bit, you know, um, what are you doing? And then we then begin to ask, and this question, especially if you're dating someone, this is the question that you're asking is, where are you going? <laughs> you know, do you have a life? Are you going to have a life? Do you have a job? Is there any plans of moving out from your moms, you know, where are you going? And those are great questions, and those are important questions, but I, but I believe there's a more important question. There's a critical question that we have to ask that actually informs what we do and where we go, and it is the question we've been asking this whole series, who are you becoming? Because when you ask that question well, it begins to inform and direct what you do and where you go. Uh, This quote by A.W. Tozer really inspired the title of this series. He says, humans are not only in a state of being, meaning that we exist, we are. We are in a state of becoming. We are in a slow spiral moving gradually up or down. And for us as followers of Jesus, why this is such a big deal is we believe, and what we see in the New Testament is that we have a God that is fundamentally about transformation. We have a God that's not just about taking old things and shining them up a bit, taking an old thing and making it a little bit better. We have a God that is all about taking something old and making it brand new, taking someone dead and bringing life, taking and making beauty from ashes. And I had this last week, and I just wanted to show you that I didn't kill all of them. Um, and so last week they were in the chrysalis form, the butterflies, and you got to see that, and you got to see me, well, the wind. It wasn't me, um, but I didn't, yeah, the wind blew them over. But we have some beautiful butterflies that emerged. Uh, Jenny and I were talking about this this last week, and uh, it's just so fun. I, I mean, if you want to go back to kindergarten, order this. This is so fun. You should do this. But it's so um, informative in the transformation process because all of us want to experience metamorphosis in our life. All of us have an area somewhere in your life. Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe it's a response. Maybe it's all of you. I don't know. Maybe it's a relationship. But we don't often want to go through the process of metamorphosis. And so we don't experience transformation as a result. And I mean, this, uh, this was like a massive, massive struggle. And you watch these little butterflies, and you just think like, oh, they're a caterpillar, and then one day they're a butterfly. No, there's like blood marks all over. This looks like a war took place on inside of here. All right, so I want to do something a little different this morning. Uh, We're going to talk about the four questions. That's the title of this morning. But before we do that, I want to hit something really important. But the four questions is simply the four questions that I believe helps cultivate transformation. In fact, at the end of this morning, I'm going to ask you to 
for 21 days, ask these questions, engage in the process. It'll help to cultivate transformation in your life. But before we do that, uh, just the title of the series has caused me to ask a different question. Uh, we ask the question week over week, uh, who are we becoming? Uh, who are you becoming? And, and in, intuitively, I began to go down this path of who are we becoming as a church? In fact, I'd, I'd, I'd suggest if you're married, that's a really important question to ask. Not just who are you individually becoming, but begin to broaden the scope and ask who are we becoming as a couple Maybe you're dating. You need to ask that question. Who are we becoming? Maybe you're, you have a family and you need to ask that question. Who are we becoming? Because who you're becoming determines what you do and where you're going. And, and so uh, a few weeks ago, we had all of our leadership over at my house in our backyard. It's amazing. 70 plus people, kids slammed into our backyard. We took over my neighbor's driveway and set up a taco truck. And he thought that was the coolest ever to have a taco truck in his driveway. We had a pinata for the kids, well, for me, um, and then for the kids. And we answered this question together, and I wanted to share it with you because I think it's important for us in the life of our church, and it's important for you to know, hey, who are we becoming? Where are we going? What are we about? If you're brand new, this just kind of lays the landscape. If you're like been around for a while, this is like, this is who we are. I just want to take a second and take a few minutes and answer this question. When we ask the question, who are we becoming? We answer it this way. We're becoming, which means we're in process. We're not there yet, but that's the direction we're headed. We're becoming a community, not just individuals and individual pursuits. We got plenty of that in the valley. We're becoming a community, a family, a people traveling together along the same path with a common purpose. That's a community. We're becoming a community of passionate Jesus follows. That's it. That's who we want to become. That, that's the aim and that's the direction. That our lives as a community collectively would look more and more like Jesus. I believe that's the call of every single follower of Jesus. That's all a disciple means is to become or walk in the way of your master. Well, how are we doing that? We want to be a community who walks by faith. That that's, doesn't just believe in a God that once did things, but believes in a God that's active today and wants to work and move in your life. But you have to step out in faith and trust him that we would engage and actively pursue and go, okay, God, I'm gonna trust what you said. And so I'm gonna step out and believe it to be true. And you, that's when you experience the God who's trustworthy. We wanna be a people who are a voice of hope to the hopeless. Not, not, a, not a voice of harshness about how you haven't measured up, but a voice of hope, a voice of healing. As followers of Jesus, we have the greatest message of hope that God loves you so much, that he died for you, that he came for you, that in your darkest hour, you have a God who came to meet you and bring new life, that we would be a voice of hope to the world around us, that our lives would resemble and resound the voice of hope 
And then fundamentally, we would be known for having the most creative messages and best speaker on the planet. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> couldn't, help, couldn't help that one. <laughs> We'd be known, but here's how we actually kind of interpret it. We'd be known as the cool church. We'd be known as the one that has Verve Coffee and amazing pastries and great worship or bounce house church. That's how the kids know it. That we're the bounce house church, right? We'd be known by our what? Help me out. Love, Love yeah. See, spiritual maturity is not so much in how much we know, but how well we love. Jesus said, by this, the world will know you're my disciples. How you love. I pray, I pray one day that when people think of awakening, when they look at our community of passionate Jesus followers, that they would, they would go, I don't know that I buy into all that they believe, but I can't deny how well they love. That's who we long to become. And here's why this is so important to us. It's, it's our vision from the very beginning. We started out four years ago with this clear vision that we exist to awaken this generation to new life, that we exist fundamentally for those who aren't here yet. We exist for a generation that is missing in the church, and we've been really clear about it. And for some, it gets a little confusing. You're like, well, wait a second. If you're about this generation, what if I'm not in this generation? Why should I care? And, and do I belong? Yes, you belong. We need everybody to be a part of this. But I, I just, just for those who have families, let me tell you why this generation is so important to us and why we should care more about awakening and reaching this generation. Uh, there's a girl who was a protege for us the, this last year. Her name's Christina. She just went down south uh, to join Campus Crusade and serve down there. She served in our kids' ministry. Uh, she served in all sorts of capacities, leadership, amazing. And she served in one of the best ways. She was our babysitter all year long. Just phenomenal, incredible, amazing. I mean, when Christina came over, my kids were elated. She was like Mary Poppins, you know, but but even left the house clean, which is phenomenal, right? And so she had this amazing way with my kids. Before she left, she made a point to go hang out with my daughter and a number of the other girls, take them out and go get Froyo and walk downtown Willow Glen and walk back. She wrote us a card on her way out and she wrote a note to my son, Miles, a note to my son, Ryder, a note to my daughter, Ella, speaking into them what she saw in them. And parents, this is why this is so important, why you need to get on board and go, okay, I need to get out of just my own cocoon of family world and begin to engage with this generation because my goodness, I am so thankful for her. I'm so thankful we have a church that's geared towards awakening this generation because my kids, my kids get to see what it looks like to love Jesus as a young 20-year-old. My kids get to see that it's just not their mom and dad's faith. They get to see someone that they love and respect speak into their life. And as my kids are growing into their teenage years, my goodness, do we need their voices in their lives when they won't hear my voice anymore. So we exist to awaken this generation. 
new life in Jesus Christ. And it should matter to all of us. You're in your 50s, 60s, 70s, by the way. Don't you want to leave the church in a better place than when you found it? Don't you want to pass on the baton of leadership and raise up the next generation of leaders? You get to be a part of that story. That's why we gather every Sunday. It's not just to do this and go kumbaya. It's not. It's not just to go, don't we have a great community? We got to care more about the community outside our walls. In fact, this, if you're new, I'm sorry. I get a little passionate about this. But I feel like we've coasted just a little bit. I feel like we named our church intentionally awakening that we'd be an awakening. But we all drift towards our comfort. We all drift towards complacency, every single one of us, and it takes intentionality to live out our calling. And that's the call for us this summer, by the way, and who we're becoming, that we begin to walk by faith. So I just want to share a couple things that are on the horizon, then we'll get to the message, and you're like, wow, we're not even to the message yet? No, it'll be short, it'll be short, it'll be good, but it'll be short, um, but let me give you just a couple things that are on the horizon that I think you need to know that I'm, I'm going to ask you to pray about and pray for. In fact, your bulletin, I, I, I don't know that I've ever said this, I want you to keep your bulletin. Don't pass it back in. Don't throw it away. I want you to keep it and be able to go, okay, this is who we are becoming, Awakening Church. This is where we're going. And you begin to pray with us for God to work and move, not just in yourself, but in us. So here's where we're going. Uh, A couple things on the horizon. First, uh, this is the first year. This is really exciting. Junior high school. Uh, we started a junior high ministry, was it a year and a half ago, I think it was, uh, because we're such a young church, we didn't have any junior hires. Uh, Started a junior high ministry, I think with two kids, we have like six or so now. This is the first year that our junior hires are graduating into high school. Really fun. And so we're starting this year, not just junior high, but a high school ministry. And I believe in awakening this generation, we got to get after junior high and high school. I used to be a youth pastor back in the day. I have a heart and a passion to see that generation encounter and experience God. And so if many of you know Roland Jimenez, he's going to be overseeing our youth ministry in the fall. And and yeah, you can move for that for those who know him. Because... Everybody likes Roland. I mean, that guy is amazing. Uh, And so excited for that. But be praying for that. College ministry. And you know, during when school's in session, we have the, the shuttle and the bus, but we had a couple, Will and Nicole Simons, who had a heart of like, how do we help college students integrate into the life of a church? How do we pair them up with those who are older and have more intergenerational conversations and mentorship? Well, they're starting that this fall. I love that we, we have people in our church that think and dream that way. Protege, and Protege has been phenomenal. This is our leadership development process for young leaders, those in their 20s here at Awakening. Steve Saccone leads that. I mean, he literally wrote the book Protege, so he's pretty good at it. Uh, But we had five Proteges this last year. Four are returning for Protege 2.0, and we have another almost 10 starting up in the fall. 
of men and women who are dedicating their life and their time to grow in their leadership capacity to serve, to be invested in, and to invest. I mean, by the way, that's something to celebrate right there. You can celebrate that. Like, obviously, we'll, yeah. I'll give you something else to celebrate. We'll work on it. We'll work on it. On the back, you see, this is a summer of development. We got lots of different things going on. I'm not going to dive into those, but you have a calendar there. Um, next week, we're starting a series on our words called Sticks and Stones. In uh, July, we're going to teach uh, how do you study the Bible. We've got a buddy who's a professor going to come in and close out the series. Uh, and just really, how do you get into God's word and how do you get God's word into you. We're doing fun events, but they're not just for us. Like they're easy events so that you can invite your neighbor, your friends and whatnot. We got movie night, uh, calling them second Saturdays, lots of stuff. But here's the goal is to help us become a community of passionate Jesus followers and live out who we're called to be to awaken this generation. Okay. A couple big things here. You ready? Okay. Obviously you're ready. Okay, number one, we're in process of looking for a long-term location. I'm going to ask. <laughs> that was the setup team. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're building a team. We've got a, an agent. Would you be praying? My dream, my prayer is that we would find our location by our birthday here in September. And then we'd be able to move in within the next year of that. So would you be praying for that fervently with us? And by the way, I told this to our leaders, that is not the end goal. A location is simply a tool to accomplish what God has called us to be. Okay. Full-time worship. What you don't know is that this happens by volunteers every single week. Josh is uh, our production guy, and he does, he's amazing. He does just a little bit of everything. Uh, but we believe that this generation, the language of this generation is really found in music. And to reach this generation, it, we, music and worship's got to be central. And so starting July 1st, we're hiring a full-time worship pastor. Big deal. And so Gabe and Jess, as you've watched them grow, they're going to be our full-time worship leaders here as a church. So exciting. Also, um, as a result now, and many of you know, we started out as a Sunday evening service uh, and a couple of those, and it was a very large gathering of 20-year-olds and college students, and yet it was mainly a ministry, and we stopped it. In fact, it was really hard, and I know a lot of people were hurt, and it was hard for us as well, um, but it was so important because we had to build out the foundation and base of our church. And I'm so thankful for that this season. And now we're looking in October to launch a Sunday evening service. Um, we'll hopefully be close to one of the universities as well. So be praying for that. Now, now I just feel like you're patronizing me. That's uh, All right. Finally, you're hanging with me, then, then, then we'll dive in. Finally, I just want to give you a financial update. And if you got your bulletin, and so again, man, you're brand new, you're here, you're kind of getting the nitty gritty. This is almost like a family, you know, chat. Uh, but this isn't, uh, take it in, but this is not for you. I, I want you to go and look at our giving, and I want to make a few observations. One, it looks like we're behind quite a bit. 
And I just want to tell you how we do our, our finances as a church. And so we're actually not in the red. We're in the black simply because we underspend what has come in. Uh, I just think that's being fiscally responsible. So we have budgeted what we want to do, and then we see what comes in, and we underspend in those categories. So we're actually 14 grand in the black as we're closing out the year. Uh, and at the same time, we've been able to, by the way, we said we're going to unleash extravagant generosity to a hurting and broken world. As a church, we're going to lead the way. And so we've, out of our total giving, we've given 17% away outside of our doors, which is amazing. So uh, that is something to cheer about. So our total giving outside of our doors is $87,291 for a church that's three years and nine months old. Pretty stinking amazing. Generous campaign, we, we gave away just during the Christmas time, $47,821. Because of your generosity, kids in third world Haiti have water. Because of your generosity, elementary kids are able to go to school. Because of your generosity, college students in Haiti are able to get an education. Because of your generosity, we're building a dormitory in Haiti for kids to be able to stay. We're, we, you have been able to make an impact here on this campus where the principal not only thanks me, writes letters, but then allows me when we do different things to even talk to their faculty and staff because of your generosity. God is on the move and God is working. And so for many, you give sacrificially, and I just wanna say thank you. You give over and above and you allow us to do what God has called us to do and bring about an awakening. Now, I don't know if, bring back that, that chart of things again for me. Um, thank you. Oh, that's all over the net. <laughs> we'll fix that for next service. Um, but, <laughs> sorry, I got, got really distracted. <laughs> I'm just going to stay focused this way. Here's the deal. All of those things. All of those things are face steps for us as a community. All of those things are going to require uh, money and finances. I, I'm going to ask for some. You give, but I'm going to ask for you to prayerfully consider how can you give uh, over and above and beyond. And for some, you don't give at all. And here's the cool part in the life of our church is every person matters and every amount matters and makes a significant impact. And for some college students, you're like, I can only give like 10 bucks a week. Kill Man, I think that's some of the best spent money you'll ever spend. And it's impacting and changing lives. Last week, what was it? Seven or eight people, brand new life, baptism celebrated out there. You get to be a part of that and join with us. And so I'd invite you because normally June, July, and August are our low months. I would like for it to not be our low month as a church. I don't know. I would just love to see us go, hey, we're going to get after it. We're going to come together, and, and, and we're going to see how, you know, as we step out in faith, trust God with our finances, how he begins to multiply and move beyond these walls. That's the end of my story. I'm sticking to it. All right. Woo. All right, you don't have to clap the rest of the morning, <laughs> but thank you for that. Um, Hard right turn. I practiced a transition earlier. It just didn't seem to work, so I'm not even going to try it. We're going to talk this morning about the four questions. 
four questions as we close out our series uh, in Ephesians 4 that help cultivate transformation in your life, that help cultivate who you long to be and who God made you to be. Now, here's the problem with the process of transformation. The problem is this, it's slow. The problem is most of the time, you don't see in the mirror the change as you're changing. And other people don't see it as well. A month ago, I literally changed something to my physical appearance that had been the same for the last 20 years. And no one noticed. You didn't notice. Shame on you. My wife didn't notice. (laughs) So for the last 20 years, I had what I call a spitter. Little, little thing right here. You know, some of you call it soul patch. In the South, they call it a dip lip because you can pull back and put your dip in. Um, I shaved it. Something that I thought was so integral to who I was and so, you know, like signifying that, like, oh, you see me. Um, not one person, not even my wife, I had to go, do you notice anything different? She's like, did you change your hair? No. <laughs> Oh, right here. Oh, yeah. She's like, well, you're so blonde, you couldn't even really see it anyways. <laughs> and often, that's how we feel in the transformation process. That we do something and we make this change and it feels so big and yet nobody notices. And so as a result, a lot of us just give up. And so I want to give you four questions that not only help cultivate the transformation process in your life, I want to give you four questions. Now, here's this, that help you see, help you begin to be like a diagnostic to see in your own life the growth that's taking place, the transformation that God's doing. If you got your Bibles, would you come up to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29? If not, it's in your notes. And I just simply want to read the verse and then give you the question. In Ephesians uh, 29, the Apostle Paul starts with our words. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk. Literally, that word means foul or rotten. It's a picture of rotten fruit. Don't let anything rotten or foul come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for the building others for building others up according to their need. Now put a little kind of parentheses around according and to their need. I'm just, I'll tell you how I have it in my notes uh, right there, that it may benefit those who listen. Here's the first question that I just want you to begin to ask on a daily basis. How are my words being received by those around me? Not, by the way, What did I intend for my words to be received? But how are they actually being received? Are are my words helpful or harmful? Does it build them up or is it tearing them down? Is it pushing them down to lift me up or am I actively pursuing to help lift others up? Is it beneficial? 
And here's one of the things that I, I love that the Apostle Paul does in this category, because when we begin to think about our words, we judge whether they're beneficial or not based on our own in- intentions. Well, I didn't intend to hurt you. I didn't intend for that to sound negative. I, I was actually intending to be helpful. And yet, notice what he said, right? According to their needs. See, it's different when you judge what you say based on your intentions or their reception. Because when you shift that, all of a sudden, you're thinking about how they will receive what you say. And so how you say it and what you say matters a whole lot. And it changes the way you begin to interact with others. Jesus says, this is so important. In fact, Christina's going to talk about it next week. Don't miss next week in our series, Sticks and Stones. But he's going to say, the reason this is so important is because if you want to know what's in your heart, if you really want to know what's going on inside of you, look at your words. He says, from the overflow of your mouth, or from the overflow of the heart, your mouth speaks. That's so incredibly important because if you want to know your heart condition, look at your words going out. And so the question I simply want you to ask and wrestle with is how are my words being received by those around me? Maybe it's with a friend. Maybe it's with your spouse. You know, it's with our spouses and with those closest with us that we care less about how they're being received. It's amazing. Strangers, we care so much about how being received and how we're being perceived. And yet, then with our spouses, we're going, oh, just shut up. Oh, you're just too sensitive. You're always that way. No, no, no. Imagine. Imagine not only how it changed the way you communicate, but imagine how it impact your relationships closest if you just began to ask that question consistently. The first question, how are my words being received by those around me. The second question is then in in regards to your relationship with God. He says this, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you're sealed for the day of redemption. Don't grieve, don't sadden, don't bring sorrow to the Spirit of God. Now, I don't know what picture comes to mind when you think of the Spirit of God, but I think for a lot of us, the picture is maybe perhaps kind of like Star Wars and the Force, you know, and it's like this impersonal force that's a part of everything. That's not the Spirit of God. Spirit of God is the third person of of the Trinity. It's a person that, that can be grieved. Now, this is so powerful that when you step into a relationship with the God of the universe, he places his spirit inside of you as a seal, showing and proving that he's coming back, that he's gonna, with this process he started in you, he's gonna finish in you. And he's given you the power to do it because the spirit of God is now inside of you. And the question I just simply want you to ask is, is this, pull up the question for me here, and is this, and then you fill in the blank, pleasing or grieving to the Spirit of God? Is this, and then you fill in the blank, is this conversation pleasing or grieving? 
to the Spirit of God. Is this post pleasing or grieving to the Spirit of God? Is this movie pleasing or grieving to the Spirit of God? Is this activity, is this what I'm engaging in? Is this photo, is, is this pleasing or grieving to the Spirit of God? Is this business deal pleasing or grieving to the Spirit of God? You know, I've asked this question this last week, and I gotta tell you, it has heightened the sensitivity that I have to God's voice in my life? This powerful question. And I just got to be honest, if I can, for a second, is that for many, you, you're not experiencing the power and the presence of God in your life because you're habitually grieving the Spirit of God in your life. And just simply asking this question, I know it's painful on the front end, but as you consistently ask it and as you begin to offer and go, God, I, I long, I long that the, that the thoughts, that my attitude, that the activities of my day would please you today. It's my prayer because I'm, I want to passionately follow you. I'm giving my life for you. I long for it to be pleasing to you today. Would you bring it to mind? Anything that's not pleasing to you. How are my words being received? Is this pleasing or grieving? The, second, the third question is then in regards to your emotion. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. What, what you don't readily see is uh, in the Greek and the way these words, they actually build. They start from something small and build, 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 where, you know, bitterness is just this kind of internal feeling towards someone. Rage isn't as the big outward that we think. It's, it's actually the picture of a piece of straw that's just lit, that when you begin to harbor bitterness towards someone, right, that, that it doesn't take a whole lot to light it. That's what that word means. It just lights real fast. And so when you begin to harbor bitterness, then, then the feelings just light up the minute they do anything, whether good or bad that builds into anger. And then your outward behavior is then that you begin to argue. That's what brawling really is, is, is the word of arguing or slander. You just begin to cut people down or malice is looking for any form to push someone down. Now, here's the question. Do I have any unresolved emotions that need to be dealt with? Do I have any unresolved emotions that need to be dealt with? Do I have any bitterness? Do I have any resentment? Do I have any jealousy or anger? About three years ago or so, maybe a little less, both Jenny and I were betrayed by uh, a close friend. It felt like it at least. I don't know if it's fully that. But I have to tell you, when, when you feel betrayed, when you feel stabbed in the back, you feel justified to be bitter. And there is an anger that comes. And it's really hard when you're married and you both feel it. Because sometimes in marriage, you get to be the uh, counter, you know, uh, wait. And you go, no, 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 no. But when you're both bitter, when you're both angry, it just keeps brewing. Let, let me be honest, because for some, 
when we're asking the question, who are you becoming? And we get to the issue of your emotions. Your emotions have destroyed your life and directed your life. There's something that has happened in your past that you've hung on to bitterness, you've hung on to resentment, and has become a way of life and a way of being that is directing your life. And it feels like a cycle you can't get out of. And there are some that this isn't just a Sunday easy step. This is a long process of moving and becoming. And if I can be honest, for both my wife and I, it took a year and a half to resolve, to resolve those emotions, to deal with them properly. If you're there, maybe let me give you a resource. There's a book called Forgive and Forget by Lewis Smead. Great, great book. But I'd ask you this question. What steps do I need to take to bring about Resolution. And first, here's the deal. Go vertical first. Our natural, when we have unresolved emotions, is to go horizontal. Whether it's social media, whether it's a close friend, it's just to, to vent. Oh, man, venting is so fun, isn't it? It feels so good. You get it out. Ah! And you just word vomit all over somebody else. And you just go vertical first. Bring all of that to God. And then go wise counsel next. Seek out someone wise. Both my wife and I had to do that with mentors. And we have a counselor that we just got great advice consistently. And for some, this area is such a big deal in your life. You need counseling. You need to seek out counselor, get a great counselor, pay money for it because these emotions are destroying your life. They're destroying your relationship. And you ultimately need to at some point go, okay, I'm going to resolve this. I'm going to step into the healing process. The question, do I have any unresolved emotions that need to be dealt with? It's such a powerful question, by the way, to just simply ask at the end of your day. We talked about it last week of keeping a short account. Of you just go, okay, is there anything that happened this day? Because those little things build up and you just bring them to God and go, God, here I am. Is there a conversation I need to have? Is there, uh, is there something I need to confess to you? And you just begin to ask that consistently. And then finally, he says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. The first question, how are my words being received? Second question, is this pleasing or grieving? Third question, any unresolved emotions? This question takes it from a completely different angle. Am I deeply aware of how much God loves me and forgives me? I would like to suggest that most of the problems in our lives that are self-inflicted by us comes from our lack of awareness of just how loved we are. Just how much we've been forgiven. See, does my heart response to others reveal my awareness of his great love and forgiveness of me? 
That's what he's saying here. Be kind, be compassionate, forgiving each other. How? How do we forgive? How do we be kind? How do we be compassionate? Just as Christ forgave you. Just as. The question, am I deeply aware of how much God loves me and has forgiven me? My awareness of God's love and forgiveness is revealed by my response to others, especially the difficult others. I'm going to say it again. My awareness of God's love and forgiveness is revealed by my response to others, especially the difficult others. In Luke chapter 7, we see uh, Jesus, he was invited to a Pharisee's house. And he's, he's hanging out, and the Pharisee invites him in. And this event, you just need to know, in a small town like this, is going to be the main event. They don't have, you know, the warriors coming on later tonight. They, they have this event. And so the town actually has come out, and they're going to eat outside in the courtyard. And, and the whole town's going to kind of sit in and listen and stand on the edges to, to watch what's happening. This is the main event in the city. And this Pharisee, to show dominance and to show superiority, when he invites them in, doesn't greet them with a kiss as is customary, doesn't wash his feet as is customary. And they begin to have this meal. Partway through the meal, this woman in the crowd, so powerful, can't handle it any longer and breaks through all social barriers and all social norms because she had experienced the grace of God in the person of Jesus so powerfully, she didn't care whether she was humiliated care what other people thought. She just had to get to the feet of Jesus. And so she runs and breaks through and she has this expensive jar of perfume. Now, the only problem is this woman had a reputation. This woman in this small town, as small towns often do, people talk. This woman had gotten around and you know what I mean by gotten around. She breaks through and she breaks the bottle of perfume on his feet and weeping and crying. She begins to wash Jesus' feet with her hair. And the Pharisee, in righteous indignation, looks at him, says, If only Jesus knew who was at his feet. Jesus tells a parable about a person who had been forgiven a sum of money, a large sum, and then another person who had been given a, forgiven a little sum of money. And he asked this question to the Pharisee. Religious leader, do-gooder. One who in the eyes of everyone else, by the way, Pharisees, we, we kind of think of them as like, boo. Like everyone thought these were the righteous, right guys. And he said this. Okay, the person, which of these two people who were forgiven debt would love their master more? Now, obvious question is the person whose debt was largest. And he looks at him and says, 
You see this woman. I entered your home and you didn't give me a kiss and yet she has not stopped kissing my feet. I entered your home and you didn't wash my feet and yet she broke the most precious, precious possession she had and poured it out on my feet and has not stopped crying and washing her, my feet with her hair. The issue for the woman and the Pharisee wasn't the issue of forgiveness. For some we think, well, you know what? I've kind of grown up in the church. I've kind of gone around it. I haven't been forgiven that much. Maybe I just can't love that much. The issue was one was so deeply aware of just how much they had been forgiven. See, we all come as broken. We all come needing. We all come from a place where we desperately need Jesus. And the question before us is, is am I aware of just how well I've been loved? Am I aware of just how great the sacrifice was for me to experience forgiveness? Because if I'm aware of that, how can I not treat others? How can I not love the difficult others? How can I not forgive when I've been forgiven? I'm going to invite the band back up. We're going to sing one last song. But I, I, we're going to pass out. I, I made for you this week. I don't know where it is. There it is. I made for you cards. Actually, I didn't make it. Catherine made, made them for you. Because I want you to ask these questions every day for 21 days. And I simply want to close with this prayer. I wrote this prayer and I'd encourage you, take this, put it in your car, take this, put it on your mirror, take this somewhere where you'll see, somewhere you have time just to reflect. Maybe it might be at the beginning of your morning. It might be at the end of your day. It might be at lunchtime. I don't know. But would you take this and begin to ask the four questions that'll help your heart engage in the process of transformation. And then I just wrote a prayer. And if you would just stand with me, I'm going to pray this prayer over you and we'll close. And just let your soul get settled. Heavenly Father, May the words of our mouth bring life to those who are listening. Would you let the thoughts of our heart and the activities of our day be pleasing to you? God, would you show us any area in our life that needs to be confessed, that needs to be made right? God, may we be a community. May we become a church that loves and forgives others in the same way you have loved us.